deeper. Tell me, like, what is what are you seeing as the difference between this this time last year and now? Um, well, I feel like obviously we're talking a lot about the vaccine. Um, we still our population of people that are trying to conceive pregnant and and you know I don't have so many breastfeeding patients, but I do have some you know that are kind of breastfeeding and thinking about like, when should I transfer the next embryo type of thing? So sure. this population of patients, of course, is one of the lowest um, pr proportions that are vaccinated. And of course, we, we all know there are some people who will never be able to get vaccinated because of medical issues and some people who just don't believe in vaccines and don't want to get vaccinated. But there's also a big group that I think are like a little bit vaccine hesitant and still mm -hmm. feel like they need more reassurance and information. And I think mm -hmm. we are starting to get a lot more information now, which is good. Um, I will say that compared to last year, a lot of my patients seem to be much more focused on moving forward with their family building. Like people are, I think, I think the pandemic right. has really brought home to people that we don't have a lot of control over our lives and things that we take for granted can change overnight. And so the things sure. that are important in life, like, oh, I've always wanted to have a family um, or family is really important to me, um, or I, I really need to make sure that I'm in a good position to have a family when I'm ready, like, you know, egg freezing and things like that. Mm -hmm. I think it's brought those kinds of issues into greater focus for people. And so people see, people seem more determined just to prioritize family building to me, you know, like right. I, I, well, it does, you know, even patients yeah, that I've been seeing with for that. a while. So I knew they wanted to get pregnant. They're trying, uh -huh. but even those patients that obviously were already focused on family building, I think the pandemic made that much more intense for them. Yeah. You know, it is interesting because I delayed last year, you know, I delayed doing an embryo transfer. Now I kind of regret delaying, <laughs> you know, no regrets, because no, no regrets. I know. I mean, that's how we we're supposed to live. No regrets, but it's like, okay, now I'm getting ready to do an embryo transfer and the Delta variant is the whole thing. And, you know, I have to fly into California and that has me nervous because California is kind of a mess again and back to a mask mandate and, you know, things are closing down again. And, and wow. I feel like, well, if this is the new normal, I mean, it's not just the Delta variant We're it's a virus. We're going to have continued variants. Right. And I don't, you guys, I don't want this whole thing to be about like COVID yeah. and, and everything. So please start, start asking your questions in the comments, but this is just my own personal experience because my July transfer did get canceled. I've been delaying since like fall of last year. Some delays were me, some delays were the clinic and some, this last delay was just, my body didn't cooperate. And to that point of like, you go into it with, you know, doing everything right and the best of everything. And sometimes there's just so much out of our control and I am not a spring chicken. And so I've been really working hard at kind of letting go the number and like the age, you know, that I am and like, how old I'm going to be when I deliver again and all of that, because it has been kind of making it difficult for me. You know, I feel like just the things that I am thinking about are causing me to have some stress and anxiety that is unnecessary. It's so hard not to think about those things. I know. And I, um, but 
I think just like, you, you know, you tell all of the people who seek help at, at Fertility Answers that the technology does work really well and working on your health does make a big difference despite your age and, you know, and keeping moving forward and staying positive usually just correlates ultimately with success. So you have all those messages up here, but down here, it's harder to yeah. feel it, right? You're right. You're right. And also, you know, I've been saying that my body didn't cooperate. It's not really that it's that we kind of got the timing wrong of building up my lining. So we were a little bit behind the eight ball and I wasn't totally controlled because I wasn't on the pill and I wasn't exactly on their cycle. We were almost trying to get lucky. And I was willing, because I know this field so much, I was willing to go ahead and start the injections just in case. And as you recall, my estradiol started out high. So it was probably that I was going to have a period. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I was a little bit mid-cycle. And so I think that I need to just change my frame of reference and change like my story about the cycle. My body did not cooperate at all. My body did exactly what it was supposed to do. It had a period. Yeah. (laughs) It just had a period when I was supposed to be the week before an embryo transfer. Winging it, sometimes winging it and saying, let's see what happens does work. Yeah. So I don't think that was totally unreasonable. I mean, you know, like, you know, I don't think you could beat yourself up for that because that wasn't, that wasn't an unreasonable thing to do, but you're right. That doesn't always work out. You know, like we use pills a lot to try to control people's cycles. We make plans and we think, okay, this is when my period is going to start. And this is when the retrieval will be or the transfer will be. And I think that's a good thing to let everybody know that it mother nature just doesn't Mm -hmm. always cooperate and that's okay. That doesn't mean something's really wrong necessarily. It's, it's inconvenient. And it's so informative. Right. It's so we do talk about that too, that like each attempt, each cycle is such an opportunity for yes. learning. And I'm 45. You know, the first time I did this was when I was 37. I worked with the microgenesis microbiome team to really like optimize my fertile biome. Are you still which is doing a term that? that I like, didn't even know. Like eating all I'm those still veggies? still doing it. Okay. Yeah. And I'm still how do you feel? Like, how did, I how do know. you feel physically? Like, do you, can you notice? Well, that's the thing. Mostly I have felt amazing. It has changed my sleep quality. It's changed my skin. Although I'm a little, I feel like I'm a little greasy because it's hot today. Um, it's changed. I no longer have keratosis on my arms, wow. which I had since I was just a child. That's I know. Awesome. So it, it, it is a program. It has changed so much. And when I was going through it and having regular cycles, my cycles were like that of a, you know, a 32 uh-huh. year old or something. I was like really shocked at the difference in how I was menstruating. Uh-huh. I had no cramping. I really didn't have a lot of PMS and I'm, you know, like quintessential PMS or, and so I, you know, all these different improvements that I could look to that happened going through and, and it, it, it's not for the faint of heart. I mean, it was, diet and lifestyle changes. It was a lot. It's a lot. Yeah. It was a lot. I mean, it definitely a change in supplements. So instead of like the prenatal, it's like the exact supplements that they, they recommended that were personalized to what they learned about my microbiome and then their custom probiotic. So I did that for 75 days, but then when my cycle got canceled, they actually optimized what I was doing. So they were concerned. And it's so funny because of course, Dante was like, I think you eat too many vegetables. (laughs) 
And it's so funny. And of course the child says that, but he's not totally wrong because I do need to add a little bit more fiber into my diet. So I'm trying to but add if like you're eating a ton of vegetables. Like don't vegetables have a ton of fiber in them? Um, I mean, lettuce doesn't have like a ton, does it? I don't think so. I mean, some do, but not all but vegetables lettuce is not do. a real vegetable, is it? It, it? It's not exactly a real vegetable, but I mean, I'm eating like a lot of, you're right. Like not, I'm not eating like necessarily the completely fibrous okay. vegetables all okay. the time. You know, so I don't think tomatoes aren't high in fiber and, you know, things like that. So they optimized some things on my diet. They changed out my supplements. So now I'm on like vitamin A, vitamin E, vitamin C, and some other things to help on this. How do they know what they need to optimize? They're doing blood work, saliva. Yeah. Well, so the very first thing that they did was um, blood work, saliva, and a vaginal swab. So they looked at those three Uh things. They have micro RNAs that they, that are novel for them. They patented the micro RNAs. So they have that. And then they have um, inflammatory markers and a couple of other markers that they look at and then combined, they know what your fertile biome or how fertile or not fertile your biome is. And then they make all these recommendations accordingly. So there's actually 64 different combinations. So yours is probably totally different than Mm -hmm. mine. And so I'm one of 64 types of fertile biomes Uh or lack thereof. So they can optimize it to get you fertile. And then based on symptoms, they can make adjustments Uh rather than retesting. They didn't really have to retest. They were like, we're only going to focus now that we healed your gut. We're going to focus on Uh your lining. And, and they worked with their, their research nutritionists and, um, you know, to get that right. Yeah. So I know. Um, so we're heading into this, you know, into the August cycle, hoping to get on that one. Stephlion, um, looks like she went um, down and did that, the Barbados program, which is amazing, but her AMH is a 0.08 and they only reached, she only had three follicles growing. So it was, it was a tough, a tough go. She retrieved one egg. It didn't survive the night. So uh, she's wondering if she should just jump to donor eggs or, you know, if, if they should optimize that egg retrieval cycle to, to, you know, to try again before she goes to donor eggs, how, 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 how would you approach it? Stephanie, remind me how old you are. I, don't I mean, remember. some of, some of this is about having no regrets, you know, like, um, yes, that in order to move to donor egg, you know, it's very easy for me to say, oh, you would do well with donor egg because really you know, if you're getting eggs from a 25 year old donor, everybody who's 26 and above, maybe they're going to do better with donor egg because all my patients are coming to me with infertility and donors do not have infertility issues. And they're, you know, 25, 22, 30 years old, they're very young. So, and since the average age of my patients is 39, we could say, oh, everybody should do donor egg because they would all have this higher per cycle pregnancy rate. And yet most of my patients, even if they're significantly older than donors, if they have the opportunity and the will to be able to keep trying, the technology often can get them pregnant without donor egg. So ultimately I think it's a very, there's some biology, but there's a Mm -hmm. lot of um, there's a lot of personal feeling that, and psychology and that has to go into that decision. Right. You know, you have to feel 
And the psychologists, the reproductive psychologists always say that you cannot really move on to donor egg until you've actually said goodbye to the idea of having mm -hmm. a family with your own ex. And that is actually mm -hmm. apparently very, very similar to a grieving process, like what you go through when sure. you lose a, loved, lose a loved one. Uh, and yeah, of course. Can, you know, a normal grieving process can take like six to 12 months once you kind of decide, mm -hmm. okay, I can't do, okay. use my own eggs anymore to really process that and be able to embrace something so different like donor egg is uh is different from a you know from a scientific well, perspective it's it's easy you know we're using mm -hmm. a young of course donor with you know nice eggs so um it, it really works well is there well is there an amh level though that is so low that you wouldn't even want to put somebody's body through you know, an egg retrieval process? You know, like a 0.08 is very low, but there's a lot of fluctuations in AMH. Like when you talk about health and nutrition, sure. like I, you know, we know that AMH can be significantly lower if you're put on birth control pills. Um, and, and, right. um, and you can get a false reading if you're on yeah. biotin. Yeah. And, and what well, if you're, so. what if your nutrients are super low? Like what if your, your vitamin D levels are super low sure. and you're, you're just, your body is not functioning right. well. Um, and what if there's just, there's just normal variation from, you know, day to day, week to week, lab to lab with AMH. It's, it's doesn't seem to be an absolute right. number. And then age really plays a role. Mm -hmm. So if you have a super low AMH, and you're over 40, that's probably yeah. not a great combination. And we would think a lot more about donor egg than a super low AMH in right. somebody who's much younger. Um, you know, because right. you know, you have somebody who's yeah, Steph is only 34, 34 seems really young. And it seems like yeah. uh if we could get um if they feel like they could optimize your medicines and get a few more eggs, it might be worth one or two more tries, but ultimately yes. that's a lot to go through and right. it's a very personal decision. So I don't mm -hmm. know that we can just say, oh, you should do donor egg. You know, that, I think that right. sounds, you know, you're a healthy 34 year old and the only issue is your low AMH. It sounds like you're a great candidate for donor egg, but is it the right thing to do right now? I, I'm not sure we can definitely say that. Yeah, I like how you answered it right at the top, which is no regrets. Like, what is the path forward where you know that you can live with your decision no matter what? And we always talk about, too, how much time are you giving yourself? Because for me, I feel like this, since this is my 45th year, time, I don't feel like time's on my side at all. Yeah. I'm not going, you know, this is like, if this August transfer doesn't work, then it's like right on to September. You know, because if, if I had had a bleed, then I would just turn right around and do it again because but I don't Steph feel like this is on my side. But if she so, has, yes. I know. So if she has some time. I would also recommend Steph looking at the microgenesis program. Now, caveat, we are working on the website right now for them, the microgenesis.net website. But I will say that, I mean, I'm seeing some extraordinary results. We had 40 women in the US go through a study. They've already had over 300 women go through their program, but 40 in particular, and there's already four that are pregnant. 
they've only had 13 complete the program of the 40 and four out of 13 are already pregnant. The other thing with donor egg that I think can be a huge resource is, and, and I know Fertility Answers can help with this, is thinking about talking, sitting down with a reproductive psychologist. If you're doing this with a partner, yes, the two absolutely. of you sitting down with a reproductive yes. psychologist, that's kind that's of right. one of the most helpful things that reproductive psychologists do is help you navigate mm -hmm. this decision-making about something as big as this. And yes. second opinion, right, yes, Alice? That's another resource yeah. that Fertility Answers is so good at. Yep. You have resources all over the world and you can, uh, you can connect yeah her with, you know, maybe another doctor who can say, well, let me look at your yeah. stem and, you know, and let, let me give you some ideas. And look at the protocol and let's yeah. retest AMH. And, you know, it's, this wasn't meant to be like overly promotional of microgenesis, but <laughs> I've been like knee deep in, in web copy with them right now, understanding all the nuances of their program. And one thing that I will say is that there are a lot of women in their original study who had failed egg Ooh. donor cycles who went through their protocol and then had success. So they took like the most difficult to get pregnant patients and fixed their gut imbalance. And it made the IVF more successful and it made spontaneous conception more successful. So I think, I mean, there, there's something there that I'm really excited to explore and to kind of help them bring to market. Yeah, that's because I think very really interesting important. stuff. I think we're learning more and more about like the whole impact of your general health in, on, on yeah. things like fertility. And we think it's, it's through epigenetics right. because your health or mm -hmm. lack of health does have an impact on how your genes function or don't function well. And that well, right. could it's, certainly yeah. impact outcomes for all kinds of medical procedures, including right. IVF. I mean, think about these crazy fires and all this fire smoke that yeah. were, I mean, I think about, I thought about that last year with, with, you know, and I, I remember Dr. Raquel and I talking about this from the functional medicine standpoint and, and her naturopathic perspective is we're taking in toxins every single day and our gut is responsible for 70% of our immune system. So if we're not totally focused on strengthening the, the biggest aspect of our immunity that we can, right. Then I just feel like all we're doing is like, you know, too many toxins coming in and we, we're can't, not we can't really them. handle it. So, yeah. And I mean, fertility, like, I mean, I think we think of it as like this marker of vitality, right? And when we, when we have struggles, when we have low ovarian reserve, where we, you know, the sperm parameters are not good. It's like, well, what else is going on? You know, that, that so where that's like the outcome. Are you guys going to look, is microgenesis going to look at male fertility at all? Cause yeah. that would be very yep. interesting. Male and children. Okay. Yeah. Male and, okay. and yep. Male factor. And also just children, because just I remember when I was got born. Health child gut health because my microbiome was Dante's first microbiome mm. because he came from me. And when he was born, he had a rash on his face. And so I knew there was something you were left over from chemo or whatever was going on for me, where he was not supposed to look the way that he looked when he was born. And we've worked really hard on it. And so, yeah, they're going to do all of that. So it's, 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 it's exciting seeing where the research is going. And building team Terlitz um, is asking, how do you counsel your patients on prep before an egg retrieval? So I tell everybody that 
you, number one, um, you want to be good to yourself. I think that's really, really important. You have to create space in your life to take care of yourself. Take, and if there's, if you have a partner for both of you to take care of yourselves and to take care of each other, you, uh, Mm -hmm. it's very time consuming. It, it can be like an extra job. Yes, you can run in first thing in the morning, get your ultrasound and blood work, run out, run around and do all your work and then you know inject yourself at night and squeeze it all in. But I think ideally you want to have uh, you know your calendar be a lot less hectic than it normally is. I know people have to work and people can't, you know, yeah. we, don't, we don't have data saying like people should stay home or anything like that. But I do think- you know, clearing out your calendar a little bit, like clearing out some projects, just making sure you have a little extra time because you are going to be running to appointments. I do want you drinking at least two liters of water a day. The water is super important because the hormones actually cause a decrease in vascular tone. And when you have a decrease in vascular tone, if you're not well hydrated, it can, you can really feel like yucky, like it can lead to headaches and just not Mm. feeling well. Um, you're making a lot of extra eggs or that's what we want you to make a lot of extra eggs. That takes extra energy. And universally, everybody says when they're going through yeah. an egg retrieval and they're on these medications, the most common side effects is actually just, I feel tired. I'm really tired. Yeah, yeah. I remember that everybody too. And I was gassy. I was gassy and yeah. tired. Not everybody complains <laughs> of gassy, but that. a lot of people complain about being <laughs> tired. And, you know, so I think, mm-hmm. you know, it would be great if everybody got seven to eight hours of sleep at night. I think that's really challenging to do with our modern day living. Like that sleep quality. I mean, even thinking about the Olympics, there, you know, this the smart teams have a sleep coach. Yeah. It's sleep is because huge, it's such a huge, huge part in of, terms performance. of performance. Yes. Yes. And just general health. And, those, and it's yeah. very important for your cycle. We want you to address sleep issues and then probably during the cycle to sleep a little bit extra, like instead of seven to eight hours, maybe eight to nine hours. So plenty of water, plenty of sleep. Um, Don't bounce your ovaries around. I still want you to exercise. I feel like this whole Uh, don't exercise myth is wrong and you should be moving your body, but your ovaries- Get that blood circulating. Your ovaries need the blood flowing. And for mental health, a lot of people tell me- Yes, for sure. They can really go a little crazy if they're not doing the regular exercise, but we- Not to mention the insulin resistance issue when you don't exercise. Exactly, yeah. But we don't want you to bounce your ovaries around. Your ovaries are bigger than normal and we don't want them to bounce around. That's not good for you. You don't have to do step aerobic. Yeah. Remember those jumping? Do they do step yeah. anymore? Crossfit, my you don't CrossFit jump rope people, or do yeah, yeah. They need to like back off a little bit and really modify. Exactly. But, but almost every exercise routine can be modified. Um, yeah. That's so right. really good sleep, lots of water. Of course, you're taking your vitamins, uh, thinking positive thoughts, um, creating some space, things that and bring time you joy. Yeah. And yeah. Uh, continue to exercise, but go low impact. Um, mm-hmm. And then, did, wait, did you mention all the fruits and vegetables that you eat? <laughs> I don't really eat fruits and vegetables very much. <laughs> I know. So eat like me, not like Serena when you're prepping for an egg retrieval. Um, I didn't used to eat that many vegetables per day, but I now eat at least I'm working on different it. types I'm working of, on of fruits and vegetables. I've got a nice more like I'm probably a salad waiting for me. So I am. Oh, gonna, good. Yeah. I'm so glad. Yeah. 
Yeah. But are you sticking to your morning meditation? I am really doing well with the morning meditation. Sometimes it's only that three minutes, but, but that's okay. Cause it's something. Yeah. yeah. I think it's, so that it's fell really out helping. for me. So I need to put that back in. Cause I was love, love, loving my routine. And, and I just made a deal with Dante where I'm getting up an hour before him because he's that child who like, as soon as I'm awake, he hears me and he's like up. And so I just kind of gave into that all these years and had no alone time mm. and no me time or anything. And we just started today where it was like, I'm going to be up before you. And so I get my workout in, I get my coffee in, I let the chickens out. I feed the dogs. I like, you know, get his vitamins ready for the morning. And so it was so joyful yeah. because then I came up and he felt so proud of himself because he said, I looked at the clock and it was six 51. So I laid back down because he's not supposed to be up till seven. And I was Ooh. like, yay. So we'll see how that goes. I'm, I think that I'll be able to put in the meditation before I have to like deal with it, with the chickens and the dogs and everything. Three but minutes. Yeah. Yeah. Just three minutes. You're right. I was yeah. doing 10 and I love the, what is, what app does everybody else love? You know, I love, Unplugged. I love Headspace. I also like 10% happier. Calm is really nice. Oh, I like calm too. I have a yeah. friend who really loves pause because the breathing thing just doesn't work for her, but pause has those little oh, cool. graphic things and, uh -huh. and you move. Oh yeah. Some around. people really love that. Yeah. And it's a, it's a different approach yeah. to be yeah. meditative. Yeah. Um, right. Right. And I was actually just talking with another friend about knitting and fiber arts, how that can be very meditative or yes. drawing. So it doesn't necessarily yes. have to be. Or doing a puzzle. Oh, puzzles. Like yes. physical puzzles. Yeah. And my new house, I'm going to make a puzzle room. I told the architect that. I was like, I have to have a puzzle room. So I want everybody to come in and be able to like sit down and do a puzzle. puzzle so I was, yeah, I was listening to a, a podcast yesterday. I think Hugh Jackman on Tim Ferriss. And he was talking about puzzles. He likes the Wentworth puzzle company. So I was going to check that out because it sounds really cool. Oh, Wentworth is amazing. We, my mom sent us some really? puzzles. They're actually, yeah, okay. they're phenomenal. Okay. Yeah. They're really good. I'm going to try that. Yeah. They're great. Yeah. And also circle and bloom, you guys, it's free and it's all fertility focused. So circle and bloom is another one. That's amazing. Um, TJ just had her third endometriosis laparoscopic surgery. So um, her endometriosis has, had gone down since the first surgery in 2016. Next IVF and last cycle, doctor wants to try fresh transfer instead of frozen. Any thoughts on I that, Serena? I feel like with endometriosis, I feel like those patients do better with frozen transfers just because we have a chance to like do a lot of anti-inflammatory yeah. things to shut the um endometriosis right. down but you did just have surgery and um you know so I don't think it's unreasonable because honestly if you have a good embryo um the embryo is more important than the lining of the uterus but I feel like in general I tend to favor frozen embryo transfers for people people with endometriosis because I feel like if you can use Lupron and birth control pills and estrogen yes. and progesterone it's just more really decrease the yeah. inflammation that's really nice. And if right. you do a fresh transfer, you're actually, you've actually potentially flared your endometriosis a little bit because you've been on all these stimulating hormones. So that 
doesn't totally make yeah. sense to me. Uh, you know, obviously we don't know all the details, but if we're just talking mm-hmm. endometriosis, I feel like I usually like to do frozen transfers better than fresh. Yeah, makes sense. Sunil's asking about this question regarding biotin, which I'm so glad that she's asking a follow-up. Uh, she takes biotin gummies, wondering how does it impact egg count and quality? Because it doesn't actually impact the actual egg count or quality. It impacts the yeah, lab Yeah, so it result. just interferes with the yeah. hormonal assay. So, you know, like the other day I had a patient, we were so frustrated because she was so good about taking her thyroid medicine and her levels were all over the place. And I was like, wow. I forgot to ask her about the biotin. And I asked her about the biotin. She was taking too much biotin and we stopped the biotin and now her levels have stabilized. So it wasn't really right. her thyroid that off that was off. Yeah. Right. It was just really the lab results. ovaries that are impacted or your exactly. eggs that are impacted by biotin. It's just the test. It can really interfere yep. with the test. Supposedly it doesn't really interfere until you're at about 5,000 milligrams a day, um, three to 5,000 milligrams a day. And most prenatals have just a couple hundred, but definitely look at your labels. Like, especially if you're taking more. But if somebody's taking biotin gummies because of their hair and nails, yeah, right, those are probably usually more dose. than what's in the prenatal. Yeah. Yeah. It's probably yeah. higher. <laughs> yeah. So that yeah. can definitely and- throw off your hormonal level. Does it have a long half-life? I don't think so. Should it's just, just a few go days. Off of it for like yeah. a week? No, just, just a yeah. few days. Just, yeah. Just so just go off of it for a few days and you should be fine. Yeah. Before yeah. the lab test, just go yeah. off for a few days. Not a big deal. Yeah. Um, TJ is also bringing up, she's the one um, who just did her second endo surgery. She's 37, lots of IUIs that failed. I mean, lots of IUIs fail. So first of all, don't think that that's you, TJ, because lots of IUIs just fail. Um, two frozen IVFs that failed. Um, let's see. So free started with six and only ever ended up with one egg. So eight, six follicles ended up with one egg. And then the implantation failed. Is fresh transfer better? Implantation I mean, rates actually tend to be a, a slightly higher with frozen. Um, and then maybe, right. maybe think about pre-implantation genetic testing because a lot of embryos sure. that look nice actually are genetically abnormal, but the data says, if you keep doing these transfers, you will eventually get to the baby. And, um, I'm going to do another plug for microgenesis too, because she's like the exact difficult patient that they did their first 267 patient study on. On average, these women had four yeah. failed cycles and, and four failed cycles. But we know that even if you failed all the transfers from six retrievals, so even more than six transfers, okay, yeah. um, we, yeah. we know that still a lot of people can get pregnant. So sometimes IVF does take multiple tries, but right. I do think you're right, especially for somebody with endometriosis where obviously their whole body is inflamed there's it's just like a much yes, exactly. higher inflammatory state the more anti-inflammatory right. things you can do with your lifestyle uh the better in terms right. of control of symptoms and creating just a better environment uh for fertility yeah exactly so of those then of those 64 phenotypes that they found with different microbiomes of infertile people and what mm-hmm. they look like and then what the fertile biomes look like so there are ones that probably look just like her of the 64, there's probably one that looks just like her, that they could customize the whole program to really get her to be anti-inflammatory. Cause I was saying like, well, why can't everybody just eat the Mediterranean diet and be fine? They were like, actually, that's not even one of the four recommendations for infertile people in the U S 
it is one of the recommendations in Spain and in Argentina, but not in the U.S. Mine is this lacto fermentation, which is why I was worried about wine because I can't be on any functional foods right now. It just instantly makes me inflamed, like bloat, infl- inflammation, you know, all around. So it's really, I'm still learning. So I'm going to keep bringing it up and like sharing my new knowledge about the program and everything that works about it. But I'm really encouraged just by how everybody who's going through it feels. Um, that they just have less gas, less bloating, less discomfort with eating people. There are women who have been constipated since they were a child Mm -hmm. who are going to the bathroom every day. Wow. And never put two and two, like we're not really talking about like, Hey, could constipation be a symptom of infertility? Mm -hmm. And that's not something anybody ever thinks, but she had a pressing problem starting when she was a child that then you know, as part of this, you know, kind of infertile biome, if you will, and then fixing it. And she felt amazing. She was like, I didn't even know it was possible for me to go to the bathroom every day. Yeah. There's so much that we don't I know. know. Isn't That's that wild? wild. Yeah. That alone is I know, wild, super wild. Like. Oh my gosh. Yeah. I mean, right. We, we take, <laughs> I think we take that yeah. for granted, you know, and same thing on the, the reverse, like people have had chronic diarrhea who no longer have any diarrhea, you know? So there are, skin things. There are gastrointestinal, there's neurological, neurological things like with mood and sleep quality, you know, there's energy things. So like there's metabolic things. So all of these, you know, like, you know, huge symptoms that if you're not trying to have a baby, you might complain about chronic fatigue or complain or have a sluggish thyroid or complain about acne or clotting periods too. And another symptom of like those 64 phenotypes that um, are, you know, with infertile people. And, um, I had horrible clots as a, as a young woman, horrible clots. That was another symptom. Hannah's asking, do you recommend that women have their tubes removed with fluid if they have fluid and if they have bilateral adhesions before doing IVF? It's a really important. Yeah, that's definitely something we feel like what the data says is that if you can see the fluid on an ultrasound and it's constantly there, it does seem like there's about a 30% increase in the implantation rate if the tubes um, are removed. And we also know that removing the tubes does dramatically lower the risk for ovarian cancer, believe it or not, because the tubes seem to be the source of a lot of ovarian cancers. And that's a way to dramatically decrease your risks for ovarian cancer. So if the tubes are swollen and chronically filled with fluid, that fluid somehow, it does communicate with the lining of the uterus. And when you take a sample of the lining of the uterus from somebody with hydrosalpinges, water-filled tubes, you can see under the microscope signs of inflammation and dysfunctional development of the lining of the uterus. And so if we... And so separate the tubes. You don't necessarily have to completely remove them, but at least block them off of the lining of the uterus. Although, you know, I would suggest removing them because of the ovarian cancer risk. Um, you can see that the development of the lining of the uterus actually corrects itself. And you do see this big bump in the implantation rate. So that's amazing. That is relatively simple, simple procedure too, right? I mean, that's not going to have like, I mean, you can do it laparoscopically. You can do it laparoscopically, although a lot, sometimes people with a history of scar tissue and fluid filled uh, tubes, sometimes it can be a pretty tricky surgery. And I would say okay. it would be good 
to have a skilled laparoscopic or robotic pelvic surgeon to do right. that type of procedure because you that makes when, sense. you don't know how much scar tissue you're going to encounter when you get in there. But a lot of times right. with a good surgeon, it can be done with just small incision in the belly button and you can go home the same day. Okay, perfect. That is great. Like going home the same day when you have to have a medical procedure, that's for sure. Okay. So let's see. Dre, I think it's Dre Alice. I don't, or it's Dr. E. Alice. I'm not sure, but is there anything you can do to improve your LH and FSH levels? Um, hmm, I'm not really sure I understand that. What are we talking about? Are we talking about So elevated? tell us a little bit more. FSH. Yeah, right. I mean, are you talking LH about levels that? are related to ovulation. So it depends on, you know, if you have PCOS, you might have chronically slightly elevated LH levels, but LH levels are all over the place in the normal cycle. They start out low and then they could go super high in the middle of the cycle when you trigger ovulation. FSH used to be used a lot before AMH was developed to try to measure ovarian health. So at the beginning of the cycle, if your estradiol level is low, then your FSH level should be less than 10 and 10 to 15 is borderline over 15. We start to worry about diminished ovarian reserve. You can artificially lower those levels by taking birth control pills or other hormones, but that does not actually improve ovarian function. So not sure I totally understand the question. But hopefully that okay, but that was still a really good explanation of things to think about. That was super great. Um, building team, Chairlets, you are so welcome. And you too, Sanal, you're welcome. You're welcome, TJ. Is IUI success rate higher for PCOS patients? That's a really good question. It does tend to be a little bit higher. Like if you, um, you know, when you, when you look at PCO, you have to combine it with ovulation induction. So you combine letrozole plus IUI in somebody who has PCOS and does not normally ovulate and they ovulate with the letrozole, then their fertility rate or their fecundity rate should be as high as a normal fertile person because you've corrected that ovulation issue compared to somebody who's ovulating all the time and, um, how does letrozole or clomid IUI really work? We don't understand it well, but somebody with unexplained infertility, we're bringing them up from 1% to 10 to 15% pregnancy rate. And somebody mm -hmm. with PCOS that's not ovulating, we're bringing them from zero to maybe more like 15, 20, maybe even 25%, especially if they're young. Um, because they never ovulated before and now, mm -hmm. you know, no eggs right. to having eggs. So yes, if you combine IUI with ovulation induction, PCOS patients tend to have higher pregnancy So Jay Brazer, I completely agree with you. Dr. Chen is the best. She's <laughs> so bad for your patient. Thanks. And uh, she's so nice amazing. And we know. <laughs> I agree. I agree. So we have a couple more and then we're, we have to let Dr. Chen go so that she can go eat dinner. Um, <laughs> she's arugula. got that arugula salad yeah. waiting for I'm her. She's got the arugula. Tonight, so. I cannot get in the way of you and arugula. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So there's a couple of questions that are coming in last minute though. So, um, let's, you've talked about this before cumulative success rates of IUI cycles. Like does each cycle have a higher chance each time, but until when? 
do you move on from four or do you move on after you've done six consecutive? What it, what does that kind of look like? So um, theoretically, like on average with a good program, IVF success rates are about, I would say 50% per nice blast transfer. Um, if you do PGT, maybe even higher than that. So if you have, um, if you're at that level after, and you have a hundred people after one transfer, 50 people are pregnant. And then the 50 people are not pregnant, maybe go through a second transfer, still 50% mm-hmm. pregnancy rate. So now the cumulative pregnancy rate wow. after two transfers is now 75%. And then the 25 people who did not get pregnant with those two transfers go through a third cycle, 12 and a half get pregnant, and now 87.5 people are pregnant. So that's the cumulative pregnancy rate after three. Um, you know, it's obviously not quite as cut and dry as that. A lot of times we're in a learning process. You know, you go through a cycle, we we learn things and maybe we can improve things. And if we feel like somebody still has a chance to benefit mm-hmm. from treatment, then it does seem like going through more treatments is reasonable. So I don't think we can say like there's a particular cutoff or anything like that. Sure. But what about with IUS? Because there's definitely a cutoff there where you're like, we just got to move on. Yeah. After three cycles in unexplained infertility with Clomid IUI or Letrozole IUI, we really feel like that 10 to 15% pregnancy rate really drops off significantly. And um, sure. it's reasonable to then move to IVF. Now, if somebody has PCO, me, I usually, if they're PCO and they're younger than 35 and they're really not interested in doing IVF, I usually feel like going to six is very, very reasonable for them because obviously they're, you know, they're not even ovulating at all. Like if they're in their twenties, maybe they should go even longer than that. Um, Sure. Yeah. So it depends on the individual situation, but a lot of it is about risk benefit ratios. And luckily none of the treatments we do, even the high tech IVF ones are very dangerous, really. Like they're like what doing an egg retrieval sounds a little bit scary because you do have to go to sleep for a little, for 10 minutes and there is a needle in the vagina, but compared to say the risks of pregnancy, it's really very low risk, especially for healthy people. Yeah. Okay. That was super helpful. Um, if you're not ovulating cycle day 35 to 40, is it a good chance that the egg is not viable? You know, that's a long cycle. That is a long time, but we definitely can see healthy babies, even if it takes a really long time to ovulate. So, um, it doesn't necessarily mean it's a bad egg. Okay, cool. All right, let's see if there's anything else. Okay, so Ellie has an AMH level of 32. That is not the lab that I go that to. That is super, super <laughs> high. Super, super high. So I think that's a different, what country are you in? First of all, Ellie, what type of lab is this? Because that is a different measurement, I feel like, than what we yeah, have in the Yeah, they could be different units than what we're used to because nor in our units yes. in the United States and like I'm blanking, I think, is it nanograms per milliliter? Do you have that off the top of your yes. head? So nanograms per milliliter in the United States, we're looking at like 1.51, 1, 1.52, 2.5 is like a, is it like a nice range over like four or five. We're starting to think about PCOS 32. We are like, whoa, that's really high, probably on the PCOS <laughs> spectrum, which means that even if you don't have the other signs of PCOS, 
we do want you living an anti-inflammatory lifestyle and avoiding right. sugar and getting regular exercise and yeah. sleep and, and making sure you're not insulin resistant. a lot of vegetables and mm. really, yeah, really being careful about the sugar though, because that that's yeah. probably the biggest risk there. Right. I have one last question regarding that AMH. I have a friend who's 46 that has an AMH above one was 1. 1.25. Awesome. And I was like, yeah. yay. Yay. you Yes. She just had a chemical pregnancy though. And you know, at 46, she's a geneticist. She absolutely knows the risk, the genetic risk. She knows her risk of miscarriage, kind of rolling the dice. You know, I feel like she should just go straight to an egg retrieval. Yeah. And, and do and implantation do genetic testing. Yes, yeah. Because then I you think, can get a okay. whole year's worth of eggs. Because if yes, we're saying like exactly. nine out of 10 or 80% mm -hmm. of your eggs, or some people even say 90, 95% of your eggs at, um, right. at this age are chromosomally abnormal, um, yep. getting a lot of eggs at once gives us a better chance of getting that needle in a haystack. That exactly. Egg. I love actually how you just said it. Let's get, let's get a year's worth at one. Yeah. And that's really the impact of age. And what's so great about egg retrieval is that you are, you know, you're capturing the next 12 months of eggs in one egg retrieval yeah. that I love that, that mental framing about why we're going through what we're going through. I yeah. love that. And she sounds like right, well, she would be a great candidate for that. So I think she'd be an awesome candidate. Yeah. So I, I just want her to know that she can handle it. <laughs> so excellent. Um, Oh, how many follicles are good for IUI that just came in? Not very many. We don't want a lot of follicles. for IUI. Yeah. You only want one or two. You only want yeah. one or two. Yeah. <laughs> You don't want to have six babies. Yeah. So we don't, no, we're not trying yeah, to, it's not an egg retrieval where they're going in and getting those eggs. So you do not want to have a lot that are floating around no. <laughs> to be fertilized. Um, even though sometimes it feels like it's a two for one or a four for one, we do not want that. Yeah. We, there are too many risks. Safer for to have one baby at a time, much safer for mom Way and safer. for baby. Yeah. Way safer. So thank you everybody for joining us on another ask me it's so anything. Nice to it's be really back. ask me to anything. It's so good to yeah. have you back. I miss you so much. And I love Same doing here. these with you. And you and I, we, we founded this. Like we were the inventors of the Ask Me Anything in our fertility community. Way, 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 way long. Way, way back. So, yes. <laughs> so I am so glad to be getting back on track with you. And I hope that um, the weather is good in New Jersey and that you're managing to find fun things to do this summer. I'm trying. I'm trying. It's, it's been hot, but it, but it's, it's, we're getting a little bit of a break and I've been, you know, playing a little golf, Good. trying to play a little golf. So yeah. Good. All right. I like hearing that. Okay. <laughs> We've been going to lakes. There's fires literally all over the West coast and, um, Aspera, I'm uh, Apsara therapy. Thank you so much too. I'm glad you enjoyed the discussion. Catch us again here soon. We've been a little bit all over the place this summer with schedules, everybody. So just thanks for in. joining us tonight. You know, DM me thanks if you need anything. Thanks for joining us and we'll see Bye. you soon. Bye. Oh my goodness. Wow. They missed you. 146. <laughs> awesome. They missed you. Yeah. Okay, I, they totally missed you. So that's great. Patient now. Um,